Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowling. New Testament reading. It's from Romans 4, 1 to 5, and 13 to 17. And the Apostle Paul is speaking. What then shall we say that Abraham... Our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless." Because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the dark. Your breath. 
Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, but whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. You know, there's an interesting feature of the ancient languages of Hebrew and Greek, which the Bible was written in. Both languages use a single word to represent the three ideas of breath and wind and spirit. In ancient Hebrew, the word is ruach. In ancient Greek, the word is pneuma. Both can mean Breath, or wind, or spirit. One word, meaning all three. And they're translated into English as one of those three words, depending upon the context, what's happening in the passage. This passage from the Gospel of John uses all three meanings of the Greek word pneuma. Okay, there was this Pharisee. His name was Nicodemus. His name means victory or victor of the people. He was well respected for his knowledge and practice of the law of Moses. He was a good man and he acted like it. He was so well respected that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of Jerusalem. But he was also aware of the politics that were surrounding this Jesus situation. So he came to Jesus at night. He didn't want to be seen. When he arrived, he complimented Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Well, how did Jesus receive this compliment? Did he smile? Did he thank Nicodemus or wave off the compliment? No, Jesus apparently decided that this victor of the people was a serious man with little time and got immediately down to a deep teaching. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, this is a famous passage. You've heard of born-again Christians. But what does it mean to be a born-again Christian? The idea burst upon the American scene back in 1976 when Jimmy Carter was running for president and described himself as a born-again Christian. And over the years, this has come to mean someone who's open about their faith, Someone who's proud to be a Christian. Someone who's publicly proclaimed themselves to be a Christian. It's often used by the press as almost a synonym for an evangelical Christian. Perhaps for a conservative Christian. 
And there are a lot of political overtones associated here. It's a code word for a particular set of political beliefs, like pro-life, traditional family values, probably someone who votes Republican, or at least conservative. But what did Jesus mean? For his talk with Nicodemus that night had nothing to do with politics. He had a completely different agenda when he brought this up. Let's see what happened when Nicodemus and Jesus spoke that evening. Jesus had just said, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus naturally is puzzled. He says, How can someone be born when they're old? Surely we can't enter a second time into our mother's womb. And then Jesus taught. He said, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And it was here this evening that Jesus tied together these two threads of religious thoughts that had been going on for centuries. For centuries, the Spirit of God, you recall that also means the breath of God, it had fallen upon particular men and women one at a time. The breath of God fell upon Samson, and he was given supernatural strength. The breath fell upon a man named Saul, and he prophesied and then became the first king of Israel. The breath fell upon a man named David, and he received great charisma and wisdom to lead Israel. The breath fell upon various judges from time to time, and they led Israel to victory over their neighbors. And going back to the beginning, God breathed into Adam's nostrils, and he lived. The Spirit of God, the breath of God, the very wind itself, it was a rare thing and changed the people who received that breath. They became much more alive than they had before. They were much more alive than the average man when they had the Spirit of God upon them. Great power came from that power from that breath of God, the holy wind, the spirit of God, which was all the same word in the languages of the day. Maybe they were indeed the same thing. Maybe it's our English today that's wrong because we have three different words and we try to distinguish between the breath of God and the holy wind and the spirit of God. Baptism in the water also. It wasn't a new thing. For at least a hundred years before Jesus walked on the earth, the Jews had sprinkled water on items to ritually purify them. They were washing pots and pans and spoons and knives. They even sprinkled water on dining couches to purify them. See Matthew 7 for more details. People were washed and bathed and dunked and sprinkled to purify them for service, starting way back when the law of Moses came and the priests had to be cleaned by washing. Far before the idea of germs, Jews were washing their hands and food before eating. It was recognized that infants were born through water and that God had cleansed the earth for Noah with the flood And the nation of Israel had to walk through the water of the Red Sea and then the Jordan River before they could enter the Holy Land and be born as a nation. Water was used to clean and purify things and people and was associated with a new birth. But that night with Nicodemus, the victor of the people, 
Jesus brought these two ideas together, water baptism and the Spirit. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, talking about normal birth, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, the body can give birth to a new body, but only the breath of God can give birth to a new spirit and the life that's associated with it. He then points out another profound truth. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going to. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I have noticed a very easy way to tell the difference between a living thing and a dead thing like a rock or a building. The dead things don't move. They're very predictable. A boulder stays right where it is. I can predict that unless someone moves it, the rock that I mowed around last summer will still be there this summer. Dead things are so predictable. But the wind blows in all directions. It may come from any direction, even down from the sky. I can even pull this down, can I? (laughs) Down from the sky. And there are people, you see, there are people who are born of the Spirit. They're much like the wind. I can't predict much about the wind direction, except that around here it generally comes from the west. But right now I could go outside and that wind could come at me from any direction. It's like a living thing. For living things aren't nearly as predictable as dead things like rocks are. And so Jesus is saying that there are spirit-dead people walking around us. They are very predictable. And there are people who are born of the Spirit who are like the wind, alive, unpredictable, liable to go anywhere, do anything. They're delightful because they have life and creativity and the ability to do new and different things. They aren't stuck in the muds. They have an inner glow to them. For God is our creator And God gives us the ability to create when God gives us God's breath, God's spirit, God's wind. And Jesus and Nicodemus talk more. Eventually, Jesus points out that God did not send Jesus, God's son, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And that's a lesson we Christians need to take home. For we focus so much on John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We talk about that all the time. We put it into the, on the football stands. We hold up signs. We do the same thing in basketball. Yet most people need to hear John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We need to hear and we need to practice John 3, 17, as well as 16. For the world around us is full of people who are quick to condemn others, to point out flaws, to point out mistakes, wrongs, and mess-ups. 
This afternoon, you go to a restaurant, and you know that wait staff at the restaurant hears daily from dozens of people about the orders that they got wrong and the meals that were overcooked or the meals that were undercooked or the wrong salad dressings or the mistakes or the bills. The workers at your job hear all the time about the mistakes they made that wasted a part, that cost the company money, the missing paperwork, the wrong paperwork. They hear about the teacher who said something mean. Our children hear from us and our teachers about the poor grades and the laziness and the loss of attention and the undone chores. And we, we constantly remind our friends of the times they messed up, their mispronunciations, the day they fell for the joke, the tiny little things they've done wrong in their lives. We don't let a mistake go unmentioned. We constantly condemn our neighbors and friends for everything they've done wrong. We constantly condemn our politicians for making choices, even on those days when there is no right choice to be made, but only a choice between two bad options. We condemn them for whichever choice they make. We condemn our team's coaches and our team's players as if we could do a better job out on the field or on the court. And above all, we condemn all those who have less than us for being lazy and all those who have more than us for being greedy. We constantly condemn and tear down and hurt others. That's the way the world is. But Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And so to imitate Jesus, we need instead to find the good that people do and call attention to the good. Sally wears a new jacket. Sally, that's a great-looking jacket. Bobby writes a story that, honestly, it's barely legible, but it has an interesting character. Bobby, that character is so memorable. Susie tries to play a trumpet solo, which is painful to hear. Susie, you were very brave to play that solo. Come back and do another. Have you noticed that there are some people in this world that we really like and others that we can't stand and many that we tolerate? Let me put this idea in front of you. The people we can't stand, they're the ones that are always condemning others. The people we tolerate often condemn others. And the people we really like, well, they're the ones that are always saying nice things about people, including nice things about ourselves. Perhaps if we condemned less and complimented more, we might find people liking us more. Huh? Now, there's a difference between flattery and being kind. Flattery, you see, is when you're lying by often saying nice things to someone because you want something from them, regardless of whether or not those are true. Our parents and our grandparents have often condemned a flatterer at work, whom they said was always saying what the boss wanted to hear to get ahead, and they used some disgusting phrases to describe their behavior. But a kind person simply says kind things because they're true and doesn't condemn There's an old saying, but for the grace of God, there go I. For I have noticed 
that when I condemn someone for, for a decision or a lack of ability or for saying something or doing something, within a day or so, I'll find myself in a similar position, having to make a no-win decision or do something publicly that I know I'm not good at, or I'll say something stupid or I'll do something stupid, but for the grace of God, there go I. And so I try, but I don't always succeed in saying kind things and not condemning. But here's an idea. If we all practiced saying kind things and not condemning others, we would be imitating Jesus. Perhaps if we apologized more and condemned less, more people would catch this habit. We would not be condemning the world, but we would be working with Jesus to save the world. And perhaps those people who currently look at Christians as hateful, condemning people would look to us and say, you're different, you're kind. And they would look to be around us more. It's easy, I know, to grow frustrated with those who condemn. It's it's easy to grow frustrated when we work in an environment where people are always telling us our flaws. But we must not grow frustrated. We must recognize that they are not doing this because of any particular personal attack. They're doing this because they've been taught that this is the way you do things, and therefore they're to be pitied. We're being taught by the example of Jesus to be kind. Perhaps if we really worked at saying kind things, it would become a habit with us, and we would change for the better. For kindness, you see, it's one of those fruits of the Spirit, fruits that come after we listen to the Holy Spirit of God enough, a proof that we have been born again of the Spirit. For the world has enough people who condemn the world. The world needs more who try to save the world by listening to the Spirit. Jesus and the one who would follow him, Jesus is trying to save the world. And like Jesus, that means that we should each try to save each and every person in the world. Show that you have been born again. Show that fruit of the Spirit that is kindness. Be kind and don't condemn. I used to be the one preaching into you that you could overcome. I still believe it, but it ain't easy. Cause that world I painted, where things just all work out, it started changing. And I started having doubts, and it got me so Myself back up, and I started telling me, No, my God's not done, making me a masterpiece. He's still working on me. He started something good, and I'm gonna believe it. He started something good, and he's gonna complete it. So I'll celebrate the truth. Just got finished. So I'll celebrate the truth. Cause I'm 
Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.